0: Just where is it? I'm going to take you there. Now, are you going to stop playing games, or do I have to end your story, too? (laughs) What story is that, Charlie? Is it the story of the little girl who lived on the
1: lane? Is it?
0: Welcome to Twin Peaks Rewatch. From Idle Thumbs, I am Chris Remo.
1: I'm Jake Rodkin.
0: On this episode, we are discussing part 13 of Twin Peaks, The Return.
1: This part was uh, written by Mark Frost and David Lynch. It was directed by David Lynch, and it first aired on August 6th, 2017. Maybe unless you were in Germany or one of these (laughs) Sky Satellite broadcast networks, in in which case you may have gotten part 14, but we'll... I guess find out what that's about some other time.
0: Yeah. And uh, although, Jake, I am thousands of miles away uh, recording this episode remotely over Skype, nonetheless, it's just you and I together oh. forever.
1: It's true. It, yeah. it, ha- it has always been cool.
0: It, it, it really <laughs> has always been. Uh, on this episode, Cooper as Dougie is a hero to everybody, and Sonny Jim gets that gym set. Bad Coop shows Rain Company who's boss and doesn't need any money. The Fuscos laugh it up. Norma has some disappointments in store. Sarah Palmer and Audrey Horn both seem trapped in their own circular nightmares. Nadine and Dr. Amp, née Jacoby, catch up. And the Roadhouse is proud to welcome James Hurley. There it is. And that's what happened.
1: That is what happened on this episode of Twin Peaks.
0: Indeed. I really like this episode oh
1: lot. good good yeah. i also I also like this episode um, mm-hmm. sorry, my brain was just stuck in a loop uh this there's been there 's been a lot of stuff sort of just on the fringes of many past episodes of uh just sort of questions in your mind of are, am I being told these things in order? Have I already yeah. seen this before that sort of thing, and this episode feels like it it Uh, made it very explicit or at least it had no hesitation in just diving headfirst into quite a few different versions of either time looping or the story being told out of sequence or uh, I guess if you were wondering if it was just you or if it was the show the show is happy to tell you that it's uh, it's definitely the show Mm
0: -hmm, for sure it's it, this episode was strange because it really concretized some of that stuff along totally different axes, right? I mean, on the yeah. one hand on the one hand, it really seems as though we're being told this story in nonlinear fashion, in the way that sometimes happens, right? Just mm-hmm. in video storytelling or I mean any any narrative storytelling. I mm-hmm. mean, it's the the timeline seems irreconcilable with the order that we're actually being shown events. For instance, uh, Bobby's still referring to tonight as the same day they found the stuff from his dad, Major Briggs. That seems kind of hard to swallow in the context of what has happened over the last few episodes. Uh, there's uh, Cooper last episode shown at home with Sonny Jim while on the book ending episodes, he is on an uninterrupted, uh, bender with one
1: day, the, like one night that went, right, that went Mitchums. Yep.
0: Uh, there are a whole, there are a whole bunch of things like that that, if we were to interpret these scenes in linear order, simply wouldn't make any sense. And so mm-hmm. the thing that one would assume is, okay, that is you know nonlinear storytelling. Lynch is showing us these scenes, not necessarily in the order they occur. But then at the same time, on top of that, uh, we also have um, we have things like uh, Sarah Palmer at home. Seemingly stuck in some kind of loop as the same clip of yep. a boxing match loops again and again and again with some sort of very Twin Peaks electricity that glitch. Discharge. Yeah. Uh And then we have a less literal but still very distressing and fractured scene in which Audrey seems like almost existentially trapped in some kind of.
1: Uh, it's Existentialism 101,
0: Chris. I'm sorry. Oh, that's true. <laughs> that's true. I, well, I wasn't even trying to reference that. I know. Um, yeah. So uh, there's a lo- a lot of different kinds. Of, yeah. Um, I would I would um,
1: argue even that maybe uh, on an even wider arc, just the fact that Ed and Norma seem to be forever stuck in that same situation is a different yeah. version of commentary on on. Life looping I mean even Shelly and Becky Like twin
0: Yeah Shelly and Becky And Bobby and Shelly
1: Yeah Twin Peaks The town uh, Was home to a ton Of different Sort of Ruminations on Or presentations of Time looping Or sort of being trapped Inside of Mm -hmm. a cycle This week
0: And Which Oh sorry go ahead Oh go ahead Which episode was the one That was sort of Captioned Laura is the one That was within the last Few episodes right
1: Yes uh, I can't remember Which
0: one that was It doesn't really matter, but that that phrase makes me, um, it it does feel, even though Laura is, I mean, in terms of her on-screen presence has been a fairly minor component of this season, it does seem like in part what we're being shown is that there really is something that was irrevocably changed about the town of Twin Peaks in the in you know at the moment of her murder, or in the wake of her murder, or in the events leading up to her murder, mm-hmm. um, and it it almost feels like we're, we're you know we're stepping back into this town 25 years later to see that it it is like truly fundamentally stuck in some kind of situation um, that is distorted that is distorting reality there, whether on a literal level or on some kind of very ambiguous metaphysical. Um, level I have no clue what what it means you know concretely but uh, this episode really felt like it
1: it's hard to know for me how much of what we've seen this week in particular in regards to that sort of that those feelings are part of a grand thesis of the show or part of the plot of the show or David Lynch and Dwayne Dunham, his editor, deciding that this week's episode is the one in which they're going to ruminate on that using the footage of Twin Peaks The Return in, in mm-hmm. a way that they haven't before. You know, um, sure. like, I think what you're saying about, about the, the thematic connections 100% are true, but how much the fact that we're being told the story out of time ends up mattering on a sort of more plot or traditional concrete way, I, I don't know if it will.
0: I, I increasingly I know that we've I, we have occasionally noted this throughout the run of Twin Peaks: The Return, but I feel it increasingly powerfully over the last few weeks. This really feels like a season that is designed to watch in quick succession mm-hmm. um, and to rewatch. Right? I mean, I I really feel as though I'm going to get a lot more out of this watching it after I've already. Yep. Seen same. It I've once. kind of been. And,
1: I've kind of been resisting rewatching mid season episodes, although I'm tempted to, but I'm looking have, forward to I actually just well. going back through
0: and doing it. Yeah. And it's and that's kind of an interesting thing to think about because obviously when Lynch and Frost were conceiving the original run of Twin Peaks, that was in an era where there was no reasonable expectation that anyone would be able to to rewatch it. Right. I mean, that's just that wasn't something that you could do with television shows in particular, right? I mean there was mm-hmm. no video for movies, but that... It wasn't really until DVD box sets that um, rewatching television became a a thing, unless your show was syndicated or in reruns. Um, But this time, obviously, Lynch knows that technology is such that people will be able to rewatch this thing instantly if they want to. Right. You know, the moment the season's done or individual episodes immediately. Yep. Oh, by Uh, the way,
1: uh, Laura is the one was episode 10, which is the one in which Richard Horn ransacks his grandma's house.
0: Okay. All right. Um, all right. Well, yeah. So that that's that was kind of my overall. So my overall thoughts about this episode, which I did really enjoy um, overall, and as with as with everything else in Twin Peaks: The Return, it's really hard to know what to uh, conclusively say about yeah, any it, of those things just yet.
1: It is an episode watching it in order that um, it seems like in the cycle of Twin Peaks season three, you get a couple episodes in a row that build um, almost impossible to deal with levels of of heightened uncertainty about what you're watching or if any of it is going to actually make sense and then you get Uh, a sort of pressure release episode this episode was kind of split the difference on that but i feel like the audrey stuff and the sort of weirdness of of twin peaks uh the town in this show this episode did a good job of like being a like no 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 it's okay actually this stuff has has a purpose for existing yep Yep. You, want to t- you want to talk about everything inside of this episode now?
0: Yeah. So you want to start off with Cooper and uh, Lucky Seven and the Mitchums and Jenny yeah. and Sonny and all that, that whole that whole thread? Yep. Uh, I thought this was hysterical. <laughs> um,
1: <laughs> the stuff the, with the, 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 the conga line and stuff?
0: Yeah, the crazy jackpot jackpot sort of music that was... Going bananas that whole time. Also, really quickly, this this episode opened with an establishing shot of the statue of the yep. guy from the FBI story outside. Just a minor note. Um, yep. But yeah, I I this episode, or uh, rather, this episode's tr- you know treatment of Cooper as Dougie um, really made. I don't <laughs> I don't know what exactly to make of the fact that. Dougie, you know I mean as people in the world know him is increasingly just hailed as essentially a brilliant hero mm-hmm. by basically everyone it just kind of cracks me up um, I don't know if that is a if that is mainly a gag or mainly um, sort of trying to reflect that Cooper is you know there's something about the something deep in his soul or consciousness that, uh, or subconscious, I guess, that, um, you know, makes him sort of a heroic figure, regardless of his circumstances, uh-huh. uh, or if that's just nothing, and it's just a hilarious, weird thing. But this, step, this episode was the high point, even more so than, than I think, when he was out at dinner with the Mitchums, of uh, people in this world hailing Dougie as the a man of incredible integrity, intelligence, and yes. honor.
1: Yes. It definitely keeps stacking higher and higher at this point, but it doesn't feel like it's stacking higher and higher in a way that is preparing for a fall. It seems like it's just going. It's just going. It doesn't
0: feel precarious. It feels very uh, matter of fact. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. (laughs) Um, So, I mean, at this point, it seems pretty clear to me that just on a plot level, the Mitchums are, with respect to everything going on, with Lucky 7 and the insurance racket are entirely innocent in this matter and are basically just, like, fun. They really are basically the Horns. I mean, I guess, actually, the Horns really did more heinous things than we actually are aware of the Mitchums.
1: As far way. as far as we know right now, yeah, the Mitchums' on-screen presence seemed like a, right. yeah, like they started off as I mean, bad guys. and In like, their
0: own professional lives, they might be cold-blooded, terrible people. But in terms of right. like everything we actually know, they seem to have been innocent in this matter, and are just really stoked. Yep. Yeah, Uh, so that kind of cracks me up.
1: Buying everyone presents, playing uh, very. At first, I thought that music was supposed to be coming out of a boombox, but it's just that they were holding (laughs) silver gifts. Um, At first, I thought that it was a a wound, but it turned out to be a bandage. Uh, Oh, it
0: was a bandage.
1: That music, it was apparently a sped up old bad lamenti track.
0: Yeah, it was. uh, According to someone on the Idle forums and the Twin Peaks rewatch thread for this episode, they sped it down. They sorry, slowed it down and say that it kind of sounds like the brushes from the Bookhouse Boys from the original soundtrack with some strangely cut piano stuff over it. Okay. Uh, yeah, the effect The effect was really good and hilarious, I thought.
1: Yeah, it sounded it really kind of like it. weird casino audio, or, I mean, like, the fact that it was sped-up drums and stuff augmented on top of it did make it sound like, like Square Pusher or some, like, weird drum and bass thing as <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah, where yeah. someone
0: was just... Yeah. with like something very mathy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, well... Uh, we get the, I mean, I don't know if you, if there was anything, Oh, you know what we should mention actually is the stuff with Mr. Todd in Vegas, um, who Anthony from lucky seven calls Anthony Sinclair to, uh, sort of say, this is all a disaster. Everything's going wrong. Yep. And Todd gives him one day to remedy the situation. Yep. Um, before we cut back to the Jones house, where we see the gym set be delivered and Janie gets her new BMW and she is just completely overcome. Um, she's really... Uh, I mean, every, yeah, everyone <laughs> is very
1: overcome and celebratory in this entire yeah. thing. Uh, Cooper's boss at Lucky 7 is also the happiest dude in the entire world know, about all of this. I know,
0: I know, it's very good. But yeah,
1: Janie, Janie E is overcome. Her... her what is, How does she describe her old
0: car repeatedly? Oh, she says, like, we drive terrible cars. Terrible
1: cars. (laughs) Her terrible (laughs) car is no more. Uh, She now has a car that she loves.
0: She now has a sweet car. And that gym Um, set
1: to to put in the backyard.
0: So uh, just to sort of cap off the the bit with Janie, she she says, Dougie, I love you so much. And then Cooper sort of mouths something. He doesn't actually say Mm -hmm. anything. Was it clear to you what he was mouthing? I couldn't read it. Yeah, but uh, I, I couldn't quite tell. Um, in any case, he
1: probably he said, real... "I'm Agent Dale Cooper. I'm Agent Dale Cooper. Uh, <laughs> the good Cooper is trapped in the lodge." Write this in your diary. Is probably what he right. said.
0: That's probably that's probably it. The like centerpiece of that entire sequence is the incredible shot in the backyard of Sonny Jim playing around on the gym set with that <laughs> totally unnecessary arched. I know that blinking uh, arch, that blinking arch lights, and, and a the spotlight, possibly not actually, like, real world spotlight. I'm yeah. Unclear if that spotlight exists. In it the was scene a David Lynch, David
1: Lynch ass spotlight though. It was it's it was very Lynchian. Yeah. That scene was so good. It was you know it, it 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 was perfect in that way where it's it has this. Really heightened emotional feeling because of the way that david the way that David Lynch put the props in and the way that he lit it, but it also literally just looks like the silver Mustang might have just stolen some stuff from Circus Circus. like it also <laughs> could just be like it's yeah. exactly the sort of decor that yeah, you would true. have as a casino. Yeah. You would have weird blinky light signs. you would have mm-hmm. like outrageous spotlights and like light rope all over the place where it's like just just give him the give him the real treatment give him the give him the silver mustang special uh, yep. but also. Yeah, it, it, it that was an incredible shot. Also with that music in the background which was what do you do you remember what it was? I thought it
0: uh I'm oh, sorry, what?
1: <laughs> I thought it was a piece from Swan Lake or Claire de Lune or something but I uh, like an arrangement or a cover of that but I've I've completely now forgotten which actual piece of music yeah, it was. Yeah, I think it was
0: Swan Lake. Okay. Which which, you know, is the story of I mean, Swan Lake I guess is told a lot is told a lot of different ways but is always has an element where the you know the lead character the queen of the swans odette has is there's either a sort of double of her or another this other woman odile who is who dresses up as her um you know they're often played by the same ballerina um so it's twin peaks appropriate body doubles very yeah very much very much of the spirit of twin peaks especially twin peaks the return
1: yep um and, you know, also appropriate for a kid just sort of like magically dancing around on a set of, on a, yeah, on a gym definitely.
0: set. I loved it. I loved that, that music box. I that. couldn't
1: believe that their kid didn't have a gym set. So it's good that he finally got one.
0: I I was shocked as well. That was kind of really on my yeah, mind. What,
1: what kid doesn't those... have, every kid should have a gym set. Yeah. Yeah. I,
0: uh, I think so.
1: Yeah. When, when I was watching this scene, it was also the first time this episode when I went, wait, what? They were literally playing baseball yesterday. Like I forgot, like that was the thing that just like, right. Yeah. P- drove it home uh, mm-hmm. like, geez,
0: what? The- <laughs> yeah, that feels so. I I mean, I don't know. I don't know what your thoughts are on this. I've seen people suggest, oh, it's probably just a continuity error. I don't see how that's possible. Oh, the I mean, baseball there are, scene. There's no way, yeah, given that, that we also in outrageous. the same
1: episode had Bobby say literally yesterday. Or like early, he said earlier no, today, said today, earlier today. today. So yeah. I I had seen people propose. Well, we can talk about the Bobby thing when we get to it. But I had seen people suggest maybe what we're actually in store for is uh, us spending a week speculating about time jumping all over the place and going crazy. But then it's going to be revealed that they just went to Jackrabbit's palace and found another dossier full of stuff, and that's right. what Bobby was talking about. But even that doesn't track entirely with the yeah that doesn't seem likely, with the the other stories involving Shelley and Becky, and it just. It, yeah
0: it just uh, everything seems seems out of
1: secret or even if that's true, the fact that it felt that way this episode is still i think going to end up being meaningful uh even if literally even think- if literally the plot ends up lining up more tightly than it seems like it does right now mm-hmm. I think so too but that Dougie Jim baseball scene just has was has no place no matter what
0: right I mean that could have that could have that scene is so short that it could have conceivably been put into a number of different episodes previously yeah if the if if continuity was the, was the goal. Yep. Um, Anyway. Uh, So we continue with Cooper as Janie drops him off at work at lucky seven. uh, And he just slams into a glass door. That, that was one of the best best visual really sold that. Oh, it
1: was so good. It it sold as hilarious. (laughs) It sold as like alarming and just as deeply sad that like the way that he didn't, the way that he sort of reacted to what, uh, Good and also the sound design of that just clunk on the glass.
0: Oh, so good, so good. Also, the, it's it's a good detail that Anthony was standing there waiting w- for him and just watching, watching that because he's because I mean, so Anthony, you know, as we know from from later in the episode, he's he just talks about how incredible Dougie is and how he saw right through him and this and that. But he, I mean, he's had lots lots of of opportunities. <laughs> to directly witness Cooper just not function as a human being. Yeah. Uh, So that's, I mean, clearly that is a really intentional way that Dougie is being depicted in, in this, or, you know, Cooper as Dougie is as someone who it's obvious to everyone that he, something's going on there. It, and it almost seems to, Result in them stra- mentally straining even harder to paint him as, I guess, sort of like a savant or just an incredible person. Yeah, like it seems like they're they're compensating for what they're seeing with what the outcome of all of his right semi oblivious actions are. Yeah. Anyway, uh, <laughs> so. Yeah, I mean, there's you know, there's the whole scene where he uh, he gets him the coffee and he tries to poison it and, and um, uh,
1: after getting poisoned from a detective or something,
0: that's true. We, we didn't talk about that. Yeah, I mean, whatever. Uh, I don't. Yeah, I don't have anything really specific to say about that since it basically goes nowhere. It's it's anyway. it's
1: one more example though of this show. This show's version of showing you the middle of someone's life is to just have them drop a bunch of proper nouns and interact with a character who we've never seen and may never see again. Yeah, uh, it was one guess- of those.
0: I guess we should talk about, I mean, it depends if we want to talk about the Fuscos separately or as part of this. Because there's a crucial Fuscos scene that is, that's what leads into Anthony getting the poison. Uh, yeah, we could talk about that. Do you want to talk about no. that real quick? Sure. Um. Uh, I really like that, that we get like a minute of one of the Fuscos on the phone before revealing that they're talking to their mom.
1: Yeah, so they're they're in uh, fact they're in fact the Fusco brothers, which is the I name of are. a that's a comic yeah. strip. That's a stupid newspaper comic strip.
0: <laughs> You're right. Oh my god. I so this is like in so forever. in in the
1: tradition of Ben and Jerry Horn, we now have the Fusco yeah. brothers. Yeah, it is. Uh, very much,
0: it is very much that. The yeah, the Fusco brothers. That's that weird. It's the one with that weird style. That yeah.
1: Everyone's they kind of just have, like hideous, like blob lines with big noses. Yeah. Like, they kind of look like the characters, though. They just kind they, of are men whose chins and necks melt down right. into their shirts. It is,
0: it's very appropriate with, with, these, with, these, with these police officers. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Uh, so they are speaking on the phone with their mother, and one of them is. And then in the background, there's some kind of like, I don't know, a suspect or someone is struggling and screaming and there's an officer trying to subdue them there's just yeah. this, like horrible situation or not hor- i mean there's this sort of horrible slash comical i guess situation yeah playing out in the background it's very 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 twin Peaksy. yep uh,
1: and then the most outrageous so
0: a lot of a lot <laughs> yeah. of times in
1: this in this show i've seen various audience members and various critics say like mark frost and david lynch are trolling us or are playing with us or having a laugh at our expense and I've always felt like we're more being encouraged to go along with the joke, and I think this is this like the most extreme version of that scene. This like this cements to me that we're all supposed to be finding all of this a little bit entertaining. When the Fuscos come in and they're like, "Yeah, I guess he broke out of a maximum security prison in South Dakota a couple of days ago. Also, he's a missing FBI agent," and yeah. then this crumpling it up and throwing it in the trash. Yeah. What oh, my hell? heart skipped a beat when they first said that. I was like, "Oh my God, it's gonna happen!" Oh, oh yeah. no, nope. It is very much not going to happen. And yeah. it was like, it was, again, kind of a, 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 like a moment of relief for me of just like, okay, everything is, everything that is happening right now is aware of what it is doing to me as a, as a viewer, uh, yeah. at least when it comes to that sort of like, just... The, the 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 frustration or the uncertainty That it's actually moving forward Well, they had a character come up with literally the linchpin Of all of Cooper's weird backstories And then just crumple it up and throw it in the garbage yep. uh, Oh, <laughs> Ducky Jones Is Mr. C, is Special Agent Dale Cooper No,
0: no <laughs> God, with their Amazing, just cackling Yep, oh, they just Oh, that was so good Yeah, yeah I really enjoyed that <laughs> It's amazing how Willing this show is to to just, as those characters do, just dump things in the trash. Yeah. It's, it's kind of incredible. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, um, so we can get back to, uh, I mean, as so Anthony... You know, what,
1: was there a direct connection between those guys and Anthony getting the poison? Or was it just all centered no, around just, police stations? like it didn't
0: stations? seem like it. He, he, just went through, uh, he just went through the, the station and yep. on his way to finding um, Clark. Uh, who, after he leaves, by the way, says, I'll call Mr. Todd. Uh, who's just involved, seems to be involved in many elements of this whole web. Yep. Um, well, uh, did you have any general thoughts on that whole sequence with Anthony and Cooper and the coffee and the pie and the dandruff on?
1: No, I wasn't, I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure what, uh what Dougie saw in the dandruff. I saw someone on the forum suggested it looked like an endless field of stars, which I thought was a hilarious, uh, I kind of reti- like that interpretation interpretation as well. Cause I, you know, he, the way that he just sort of like touched it and did the weird pawing motion also reminded me of the woodsman, like just sort of mushing around, uh, uh, bad coop, Mr. C when he was shot, but like, we're just a yeah. sort of like meaningless, but, but also no, imbued a, with meaning sort of huh. touching of a yeah. person's body. Um,
0: the way that I read it, and I think the Stars thing is compa- is pretty compatible with this and is an example of the general thing I took from it, was it felt to me like, you know, there's these little specks on the back of Tony's coat mm-hmm. and those would not be visible from, for instance, the entrance to the coffee shop, right? So right. Cooper walks out to go back to the table and then as he approaches, these little specks become visible and it just felt to me like... Seeing, seeing the trees within the forest. I guess you know, like he's mm-hmm. he. It's just a tiny little example of being in the world and something, some detail, some small element being revealed to you up close that was not visible farther away. And, yeah. Um, you know, I mean, the world is full of those things. That's literally everything, right? I mean, everything is like something contained uh containing smaller things but cooper as you know in his sort of newly returned form everything is still kind of wondrous to him like seeing that pattern in some dandruff on a guy's jacket is no less captivating and incredible than seeing the stars emerge in the sky right Right. because they're all new and uh, kind of sub- new relationships are being drawn in his brain mm-hmm. still all the time. I, I assume that's what I figured. That's kind of how it felt to me. Yeah. Um, and I think this, I think seeing it as kind of a star field is, is a, very much an example of that. Uh, Yeah. Like Tony like sees the errors
1: of his ways and uh, yeah. goes and pours the coffee into a toilet and yeah. apologizes and huh? throws the mug at the trash. Oh, that scene was very very good. Yeah. That yeah. sort of like um like really flop sweaty slapstick behavior is something that I think Lynch is actually incredibly good at capturing and it's not mm-hmm. the sort of thing that people talk about when they talk about a David like David Lynch. And his aesthetic, but man, those moments always play so well in yeah. in, in Twin Peaks and just in other things when he ha- when he has that breadth of tone going on. Yeah,
0: I think I think that he is. Um, I think the kind of director he is, and I, I'm not an authority on this, so I'm not going to claim that I'm speaking authoritatively. But you know, we've talked a little bit about uh, seeing um, video of David Lynch directing actors on the set and things mm-hmm. like that, and it does seem like he's less of I mean to me anyway, at least the end result on film he's he has he definitely has his moments of individual people conveying really subtle interpersonal nuanced emotion, but I don't think that's like his strength as a director. What does seem to be his strength is cajoling and pushing actors into situations where they are at the limits of some element of their psyche or mm-hmm. their kind of mentality and i mean this even this sort of comedic flop sweat desperation i think is an example of that it's just a more comic relief version of it yep. than someone being like distressingly hysterical uh but i just seeing seeing him on the set makes it seem like he's very capable of just continually like saying okay now you're even more in this thing now you're even more push it even more it almost reminds me of him of Battle of Enti, you know talking about Lynch just cajoling him and saying more, more Angelo, more, more. right. Uh, and that, you know, to your point about him uh, getting that out of actors not infrequently, that that to me feels like an example of his ability as a director to like really push actors to the edge um, for for many different end results, many you know many different ends. Uh, yep. but I also enjoyed it, and I, and I guess to my point, to the point I was just making, I thought that stuff was more convincing than, for instance, when he was blubbering to Bushnell about Dougie, and um, mm-hmm. that stuff felt slightly artificial to me. Um,
1: I liked the degree of his confession and to like his his I, desire for reconciliation yeah. was like basically, I got to change or die.
0: I agree, and I think it ultimately worked for me anyway, and did not suffer as a result because the thing he, because the situation that he's blubbering about is one that is so outrageous and comedic right. and ridiculous, right, by design. Um, so it, that that all worked for me anyway. So I mean, maybe that was even intentional for I mean, it wouldn't who be surprising. Who knows? Yeah, who does? Um, but yeah, I I enjoyed all this stuff. It was interesting, also, that Bushnell points out um, that Dougie also implicated himself, which is interesting. It makes me wonder if, um, you know, pre-Cooper. It's been so long that we've now spent with Cooper as Dougie, um, and I, I I don't remember all of this stuff when Cooper had just arrived and was in the office for the first time. Oh, I if, can't remember if, was if Tony was like insinuating they were in league. Been, yeah, that that kind of rings a bell for me, and I I haven't gone back and rewatched that material.
1: Um, yeah, but it's I can't remember, or and I definitely don't know if Dougie was somehow yeah in in league with or a patsy of Tony. Yeah. I mean, it feels like Dougie was in a bad place when Cooper yeah. popped into yeah. his popped definitely. into his life and replaced him. Yeah,
0: he was in debt for sure. Yeah, yeah. So it seems like he probably had some kind of skin in that game, um, yeah. but he's obviously more than redeemed himself at this point. Um, so anyway, uh, Tony offers to testify against Todd, and then there's these like two other cops who are worse than Todd. Do we know who those are? Is do we? Are, is one of them the the one with the poison? Who maybe maybe who it was that mustache Todd? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Who knows?
0: Uh, all other good details in that scene include Dougie saved my life. Thank you, Dougie, and Cooper saying thank, thank Dougie, du- thank Dougie, as though, then, as though he's like rubbing it in.
1: I know there was the other the other one of those was way earlier in the episode with the Mitchums when it, they said uh, Dougie, you might want to call your wife, and then he went wife, wife? and then everyone and cracked up like,
0: oh, like oh, classic. Oh yeah. God,
1: uh, yeah, yeah really but yeah, good. thank Dougie, like yeah. Give it, yeah. and then he does. He starts yeah. like groveling, basically.
0: Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, he ends up saving Tony as well because uh, Bushnell was gonna just take him down. What um, a great guy Dougie is! He's just wonderful. He's just such a such an amazing person. Um, I think that was it with that whole thread. Yeah. Um, we already talked about the Fuscos. Do you want to talk about the Double R? Uh,
1: yeah. Actually, hold on. Sorry. Did you mean to talk about Bad Coop before we got there? Did you skip a key? It'll... Oh,
0: I totally did skip it. Sorry. Yep, 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 yep.
1: So let's talk about the uh, other Cooper.
0: Let's talk about Bad Coop.
1: Oh, man. He's pretty bad, um, he's, but he he's is a, good at one. arm wrestling.
0: Yeah, this was a, this was a <laughs> sequence where on the one hand, it was incredibly obvious what was going to happen, mm-hmm. and then it did. Like it was you know what I mean, there was nothing surprising about the fact that like everyone assumes he's gonna eat shit and then he doesn't and he kicks the guy's ass. Like that I all of that was just exactly what I expected to happen, but it was still fun to watch it all the uh, stuff I sort guess, of on the
1: periphery of it was was surprising they're like richard horn showing up and what yeah, ends up richard happening Horn's ultimately up. to red as
0: a result of it like i didn't yes. you know uh, yeah, how, how big that was tv was amazing information was revealed definitely yeah and also just really good directorial touches throughout like the money guy and i'm just a, like the money Such guy was great. Ad. The aesthetic
1: of all of those criminals was very good. It was basically yeah. like every possible type of criminal who could ever appear <laughs> on Twin Peaks <laughs> yeah. or basically any That's TV true. show. They all yeah. actually just come meet in this room uh, yeah. and they're all subservient to that one arm wrestling guy, it turns out. Uh, yeah. so, it's like Some of them were kind of evocative of the woodsman, but then some of them just looked like... Like there was, a yeah, business guy. There was like there were like biker guys. There's like sort of yeah. just roughhousing, uh, dirtbag white trash guys. Just you know mm-hmm. whatever kind of criminal you want, you've got including including money glasses man.
0: This was something that I felt very, very 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 much in line with a lot of David Lynch's work. In I mean, sort of. So the the way that the the arm wrestling boss is introduced. Is you know one of his henchmen saying, This man's a boss because no one can beat him at arm wrestling. Right. That is such a ridiculous, like schoolboy absurdity. I mean, I, 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 the thing that, that that it that it brings to mind for me in terms of Lynch's work generally is this incredibly intense marriage of utter sort of naivete like sort of just a ridiculous version of how crime works. Like nothing would work like that. Right. Mm -hmm. It's so childish and absurd, but at the same time, there is incredibly intense violence and, you know, I mean, scenes that are in no way um, kind of childlike or silly. I mean, there's, and that, that to me really, really feels like a big part of David Lynch's sensibility is Mm -hmm. this, is the simultaneous um, kind of classic kind of old school Americana um, you know, even just the crime version of it, This sort of hilarious, like guys hang out, no crime guys hang out in a warehouse and arm wrestle to be the boss. Yep. Um, but also intense, you know, ugliness and unvarnished um, violence in reality is allowed to, to just punctuate it in an incredibly intense way. Yeah the the, the uh, sense of the
1: sense of intense menace and like, oh, under it. I
0: was like that's like the whole movie. Almost.
1: Yeah, I I don't think that the scene pulled off the sort of undercurrent to the degree that a lot of other Lynch stuff, including yeah, other Twin Peaks thing, does do,
0: it, that do. Wasn't like really what
1: it, it was doing. Yeah, it, it, I mean until the very end when Cooper uh, just punches the guy in the face and then just shoots yeah. someone in the leg and all that stuff, but it this didn't it didn't have that sort of like dual channel feeling
0: sort of sinister
1: yeah um, and i and i couldn't tell if it group, thought that you know, it was that it, i couldn't tell if it thought that it did or if it just I was intended to did, be lighter
0: I yeah i don't think it was intending to i think it felt to me like it was intending to be exactly what it was on its face and then blindside you with brutality yeah, yeah. Yep. Be- because that's also i mean a lot of what this season of this show is kind of you know is kind of like that Mhm. Um where you just get these like punctuated moments of extreme um viciousness. Yep. Um all oh, this one was more more wacky than some, right? Because of just the like he gets his eyes punched out, which is just a nice. It seems thing like Cooper just like punches happens. his face
1: in. It was just disgusting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah it was gross. <coughs> uh but I but I enjoyed this whole thing. I enjoyed this whole absurd ridiculous scenario. Um You know, including the (laughs) so including the incredible length of time Cooper spends playing with this guy, which, you know, we know is going to happen. But then probably because we know it's going to happen, Lynch then extends it even further to a degree that we would not have expected Um, and then concludes it by declaring, give me some cell phones. Yep, I just love. (laughs) There's just some such good lines in this in this ridiculous scene. Yep. Um. Anyway.
1: And then, and then he shoots uh, Ray in the leg, and yep. demands that he expunge all lore. Yes, yes.
0: Uh, before being asked, uh, after, well, after being asked by Glasses Guy, do you need any? Do you money? need any money?
1: No, no.
0: <laughs> and then he leaves. I like that. That guy's like. Uh, This is my role in this organization. I'm going to discharge my duties to the new boss before taking my leave. That's how I interpret it anyway. Oh, yeah.
1: That's what it it felt like, too, where it's like everyone else here is just here to punch each other and stuff. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Let me just keep my side of the street clean here. Money guy. Don't don't need money for money guy. Great. Good. I'm out of here
0: right right, now. Peace out. (laughs) Very, very good. Yeah. Uh, So anyway, we learned that Philip Jeffries uh, told Ray – to kill bad coop set up that whole prison deal with the prison double cross yeah to attempt to kill uh, bad coop jeffrey's
1: um, jeffrey's or whoever the person is who claims to be jeffrey's uh also gave him that owl cave ring
0: which he didn't actually put on bad coop did he I can't no remember. he
1: he clearly did not because yeah, he why still had it he
0: fucked up he probably could have taken care of coop had he done that
1: it seems so because it now seems that the codified role of that ring is it makes you disappear into the lodge if you die That seems, which seems like a very simplified version of what of its of the sort of possibility space of meaning that ring had in Fire Walk with Me, but now it seems like it might just be a teleporter. Um, Yeah, which you know
0: we've seen that happen twice now,
1: right? Because Dougie had
0: it. Yeah,
1: which I guess means there is either more than one of those, or it went into the red room, then came back out, and was given to Ray.
0: I assume the latter.
1: We don't. Okay, we don't I mean, know by Philip, means that happened. Philip, but,
0: Jeffre- yeah, but Philip, right? I mean, Philip Jeffries is clearly deeply, like, conversant in all this stuff. Yeah. Yep. And we see. I mean, when it when it appears back in the red room, we see the arm of what I assume is of who I assume is Mike. Yeah. Put it on the formica um, table. Putting, putting it back on the table.
1: Yeah. yeah. On what I assume is the formica table, which again doesn't mean anything. Like it's never been presented as a concrete thing other than just a, an image that was mentioned by Nate in Firewalk with Me. Um,
0: yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, and then Cooper also asks about Briggs. Uh, yeah. Which Ray doesn't have a does not have an answer to.
1: Yep. And then Ray Ray says after oh, Ray Ray keeps sort of oh, saying. Oh, by the way,
0: Ray got the Ray got the ring from a guard. Um, I just, right. It just just occurred to me. So it's like. We don't know almost by what means. That, yeah, yeah, but it's almost certain to me that Philip Jeffries delivered it because Philip Jeffries set up the whole prison deal. I, it yep. just seems. that uh, yes. just seems like that, a given to
1: that me. all that all seems correct. Um, yeah. But we don't know what w- w- the motivations of any of these characters is very unclear because, like, when Dougie disappeared and had the ring on, and then Mike pocketed the ring and pocketed the little uh, glass or the little brass uh, ball that Dougie turned into. All of our uh, thoughts at the time were, oh, that must mean that Bad Coop, when he came out of uh, the lodge at the end of Twin Peaks Season 2, he must have gone and taken the ring uh, from the nurse or from Annie or whoever it was that had the ring, and he must have kept it and put it on Dougie's hand after he brought Dougie into the world, blah, 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 You know, like, the, 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 yeah. the story felt very cleanly this is the work of doppelganger cooper slash bob but now it seems like that might not be the case and the ring has made multiple trips back and forth into that other world and all this yeah. stuff like yeah, yeah, yeah. what seemed like a very simple quote-unquote simple using the logic we already know of twin peak setup has become more complicated now for reasons that we have no understanding of
0: uh all right well do you want to discuss the double r let's talk about the double r this was very felt like very 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 classic Twin Peaks stuff to me. Um, the stuff with yeah. Shelley talking to Becky. Yeah, well, Shelly well, Shelley talking to Becky—that was pretty quick. <laughs> I, I guess I'm more that. Yeah, although I, you know that stuff was nice. It was nice to see um, the turn from <laughs> sort of Shelley being distracted to the like, oh man, my daughter really needs me right now, into just you know great kind of parent mode and yep. how much that that picks Becky up that was really nice to see
1: it made me well the, the cut from that scene to the stuff with Norma and uh, Bobby and Big Ed they almost felt like two different moments that happened to be edited back to back like I there wasn't a lot I mean them appear or them both appearing in this episode was another time when I couldn't tell if I was actually seeing two moments of the same night in the double R
0: oh interesting I didn't really have that or, or, or that's,
1: if that's I if I wasn't, because, you know, Bobby comes yeah. in and he's looking for Shelly and Norman says Shelly's not here. But the last thing we saw was that Shelly was there talking to Becky. Yeah. And it made me wonder, you know, because of the sort of discontinuity that, we, that we've we seen in this episode in terms of how t- things looping up and things not taking place at the right time. I looked at that and went, geez, was that related to the stuff that we saw you know, like, are we going to see Becky actually come in for that ice cream at some point, or did we already see it? Anyway, um, yeah, not that it, not that it really matters, but it, it, sure. it didn't all feel. It felt like there was not uh, even a firm line connecting these two double R scenes.
0: Right. No. That that's that's an interesting point. Yeah, it didn't even occur to me at the time. Um, but whatever, Big Ed. Yeah. The oh man, the Big Ed and Norma <coughs> stuff was so heartbreaking. Uh, it felt so in line with classic Twin Peaks.
1: I know. Well, you've this... you've shipped uh, Norma and Ed basically as much as you you personally could ship anyone, uh, yeah. for basically for
0: the entirety yeah. of Twin Peaks. Yeah. No, they're my favorite. Um, and <laughs> and this seemed entirely like just appropriate for those characters, right? This um, they they have so much affection for each other still, but just like for some reason, even though they're both adults who are fully. Um, you know, have agency in their personal and romantic lives. Um, just,
1: they didn't get it together.
0: Yeah. It just didn't happen. Them, they just never quite, did, did never you,
1: quite did you think that the note that Ed was burning at the end, uh, during the credits was a message that was meant for Norma that he decided that it was just, he was never going to yeah, give her. That's, that's what it read as to me. What I thought, but, but it's, yeah. yeah,
0: it's hard to know, but that, that's, emotionally helpful. maybe it was a
1: piece of paper that said Dougie Jones escaped from a maximum security penitentiary <laughs> and is an
0: FBI agent on the lam yeah yeah
1: he was mailed that and went what is this and then yeah th- and threw yeah. it away
0: yep um the also the guy specifically the guy that um uh, Walter Norma Walter yeah then the guy that Norma is going out with and is extending the double r franchise that also just seemed like the most Twin Peaksy thing ever mm-hmm. right like Going back to the, um, you know, just it's—he's <laughs> obviously not the same as—he's not the same kind of character as Hank in terms of his job, but like he just feels like that kind of like Hank or the guy who who marries Norma's mom. Like, he just feels—it's—it's it's totally hard consistent in the line yes. of kind of just sleazy guys who who come into the. It seems Double like, R it, R seems like the, yeah, it seems like this is the yeah. It seems like he
1: is the least on his face taking advantage of Norma, but it's also very easy to of, it's easy to not trust that he is a hundred percent genuine and that he's not in some ways taking advantage
0: of Norma. He is. It's different, right? I mean, he's not taking advantage of Norma in terms of like extorting her or deceiving her, but he's absolutely. Well, he's asking her to to compromise her business. Her, yeah. Yeah. In just as significant a way to her because he's actually changing her own like he is uh, sort of like, yeah. corrupting might be too intense a word he's, he's saying give things like like up give things up that are valuable to you for me yeah principles yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah yeah give give things up that are right. important and for meaningful ben- to you for, for me yeah yeah and i'm so. telling you that it's going to benefit you um and maybe it will who's to say in in yeah, some way it, but it, it will definitely might. benefit me is what he you know like he knows right. he knows he's going to walk come out ahead and all it'll right. cost is for norma to give something up
0: yes yes a lot of people have pointed out that um uh, one of the functions of this scene in addition to the dynamics between norma and ed which i thought were um sort of powerful on their own but uh, uh, if people on the idol forums have pointed out that um this draws attention to the fact that uh, there are, you know, sort of tiers of cherry pie. And this is a reminder that Cooper has not, Cooper as Dougie, has not yet eaten a true Norma cherry that's pie. That's
1: true. He's not had the double the R, R coffee R. or the double R cherry pie. Yeah, um, yeah, so maybe that's yeah. it. Maybe that's what's going to wake Dougie up and we're going to get Cooper back.
0: <laughs> finally. Yeah, right. Um, I didn't have any other specific observations about this stuff, but I, oh, actually I did. I did have one other observation, Uh which is that big Ed has grown up to, to be David Lynch. He looks (laughs) exactly like David Lynch and his hair is styled the same way. I know it cracks me up. He's got that like craggy kind of deep, um, weathered like very Norman Rockwell American face that David Lynch loves and also possesses. Right. Um, And he he has the side, the side shaved wacky hair. Yeah. And he's got that, that, that raised up like sort of semi pompadour. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was very amusing to me. Yeah. He looks great. Also, big ed looks really good. Yeah, he does. Uh, It was, I was, really happy to see him come back. I mean just in general to see him come back but also he looks great
1: in his fi- in his final scene which closed out the episode a thing that some sort of very careful uh, observers noticed and was pointed oh, out to yeah. us is that he, yeah. um, when he's sort of looking wistfully off after lighting the match to burn the piece of paper you can see his reflection in the window of Big Ed's gas farm and his reflection goes out of time with him and it's one of those things that's hard to know if that was a deliberate choice, if it was, if it was actually a visual effects error, cause it looked like that scene had been actually composited together and wasn't actually filmed uh, all in one piece. Like it looked like the gas station outside might've been a plate that they green screened in, but even if, it, whether it was deliberate or not as yeah. sort of the final moment of this episode that has had so mm-hmm. many temporal disconnects, it, it, uh, yeah. it seemed, it seemed fitting.
0: Yeah. Yep. Well, so, uh, on that note, you want to talk about, um, Nadine and Jacoby, and then go from that into Sarah Palmer because that is the order. Yeah. that is the order in which um, uh, those things happened, and it seems like and
1: that order felt very good.
0: Yeah, I agree. Uh, so, um, the, so yeah, we. I mean, Nadine and Jacoby is pretty uh, straightforward. Um, yeah, you know, Jacoby shows up at uh, Run Silent, Run Drapes, Nadine's company, I guess because he was just driving by. And he saw was driving
1: the, by, saw the golden shovel, and yeah. pounds on the brakes to be like, yeah. whoa, my yep. golden shovel is on display in downtown Twin Peaks.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and then the thing that we had sort of hoped, I think, is confirmed, which is that they don't really know each other, and right. other than just sort of by being long-term citizens of Twin Peaks, but Nadine is just a huge fan of Dr. Yep. Amp. Mm-hmm. dr Jacoby, or should soldier i soldier or should
0: I call, <laughs> like I call you dr amp can i call you dr ramp that's me yeah
1: <laughs> so two of the weirdest weirdos of twin peaks mm-hmm. uh and it was a make very a
0: stilted scene it was it a very a kind of stiff scene and i it was you know as is often the case in this show it's hard to know specifically if that was intentional or not but it definitely felt you know in line with a lot of uh I mean, it also makes sense, I guess, with two characters who are aware of each other's existence, but don't are not actually good acquaintances.
1: Yeah, but it also was probably two actors just thrown together and told to record this scene, not having had, uh, not knowing the entire context of anything they're doing or anything else. You know, I mean, it probably is all of those things combining to create the effect that it creates. Yeah. Um, yeah, And then, although it starts warming up when Jacoby starts telling that story about how um, seven years ago he saw Nadine looking for a potato in the store during the storm. And yeah. she's just yeah. kind of like amused oh. and, and happy that he remembers yeah. it. But it's also yeah. the weirdest thing to say. And then it just cuts.
0: Yeah. Do you yep. remember the line on which it cuts? or just? Well, she just says, oh, I think. Right. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Yep. And then we cut to Sarah Palmer. Watching uh, boxing. Watching... Yeah, watching the same several seconds of a boxing boxing match, um, repeating. Did you think? A, did,
1: oh, yeah. Sorry, you describe
0: it with a, just a, with a box with a, a you know bell. And followed by this intense. By that, Did you hope
1: uh, that for some reason it was a Bushnell boxing match uh, that she yeah, was watching? But
0: I, it's not clear to me. I, don't I know, know it's not a boxing to know if I in, should recognize
1: that. Or not. Uh, in my imagination, it is. It is definitely uh, Dougie's boss. Yeah. It's archival yeah, footage yeah, yeah. Of, of Bushnell back in his fighting days. Uh, yeah. yeah, that scene. The scene. You know, something is obviously going very wrong with. Sarah Palmer's existence, um, you know, for, in a sort of Twin Peaks, c- creepy reality is broken way. But as was pointed out, I think, on our forums and on a couple of write-ups I read and also just what I thought about when reading it, it, it also did just feel like a, a good representation of her life's cycle yeah. as sort of just an alcoholic mm-hmm. who goes through an almost mm-hmm. a numbed routine like she even if that tv literally just looped all the time the implication is she might not even notice it because it's just sort of a, right. a, a thing that's yeah. it's, yep. that's going on
0: yeah definitely she's totally desensitized um oh so, know, and you, sorry oh no go ahead i was just gonna point out the nature b- brutal animal footage she was watching a while ago
1: oh so. yeah yeah she also just is she just seems to watch nothing but people Violence. just destroying each other. Um, someone on the forums also had pointed out that this scene showed Sarah drinking her Bloody Marys and then running out of mix, which also yeah. could mean that this is this, this scene actually is intended to take place before the scene that we right. saw last week yeah. of her going to the store totally to buy a new vodka and Bloody Mary mix, yeah. or she just burns through it all the time.
0: Yeah. Um, but also we just have no idea what the yeah. timescale is either. Yep. Yeah. Uh, it was a, um, so that, it was a good scene. That scene, it, it was good. It was a very good scene. Yeah, she's great. Um, that scene cuts to Audrey and Charlie in a scene that, to me, felt like a. I, I mean, this scene really worked for me in a yes. way that it was hard for last week's to just completely.
1: Uh, yeah, I feel like we sort of surmised uh, last week that maybe some of what was explicitly going on in this scene was going on, like you know, it felt like she was maybe being gaslit or, like, their conversation was sort of a trap in this loop or, like, what was going on? It felt like some sort of emotional torture that bordered on being unreal. And then in this episode, that all just, like, ratcheted way up. And, yeah, as you said, felt more just sort of complete and, like, a digestible version of it.
0: Yep. Yeah, I thought this was incredible. I th- I thought it was amazing. And, I mean, so she, you know, lines she says include... Um, I feel like I'm somewhere else and like I'm somebody else. Have you ever felt that? I'm not sure who I am, but I'm not me. And then what's interesting is that Charlie starts telling her, like he says to go to the roadhouse, which is something he was not encouraging of before. And then says like, we're going to, you know, then he sort of indicates that they're going to do it together. Like he's going to take her there. Um, and like she already knows where it is. Can't you get there? But then he says like, I'm going to take you there.
1: And she doesn't just, just, yeah, it, 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 He
0: ends up then getting her almost to a point that she doesn't want to go anymore, I think. Right. Yeah. Like he's constantly he is constantly taking her down a path and then pulling the rug out from under her and causing her to question her own Yeah, the the, um, the circular and decisions.
1: circuitous manipulation of her to it, and just her bewilderment by all of it where she has these wants and these needs but she doesn't have enough specifics to act on them. It does not feel real. It's I mean it's yeah. it which isn't to say that it's explicitly in the in the sort of plot of the show not real but it is such a heightened like both simultaneously like heightened and suppressed uh space that we're watching it just um yeah it's it's and the, it hurts to die, to watch it happen
0: definitely and part of what made this scene work so well for me was uh, part of what this made this scene work so well for me was the transition from this kind of like ambiguously distressing sort of gaslighting and um, circuitousness into something very, very sinister and chilling when Charlie says, are you going to, are you going to stop playing games or do I have to end your story too? Right. Which is so threatening. And what does that mean? Like, is he, is he threatening to murder her? Is there something like, right. Is he is he controlling reality? It's, it's, it's I, an incredible line, idea, especially was,
1: given yeah. given all of the weird theories that were said about this uh, in part twelve, including she's just been trapped in an in an abusive relationship full stop and it's just like her life has actually been destroyed she's actually been brainwashed and guys by this guy maybe or maybe she is in a in a coma and is in a nightmare and this is some like just horrible nightmare influence on her or it was also proposed maybe she's in a fucked up soap opera so uh and so him saying i'm gonna end your story is also the exact threat that a soap opera like showrunner gives to a leading (laughs) actress um it was but it it just had so much under it was like a undercurrent of just menace to it it was it was. I said oh shit out loud when he said that because it just like I didn't know what it meant but it hit me really hard
0: yeah for sure and her response is she sort of simultaneously seems to kind of know what he's talking about but also not know what he's talking about she's sort of confused but also she says is that the story of the little girl who lived down the lane which is a really specific response to have right like that's that's A very specific collection of words um and i don't know what that means is that laura palmer probably not but like right or is it like just a story she knew as a kid right is it a fairy tale i mean it kind of sounds like a fairy tale right um
1: it oh yeah it it, or is it a callback to some other threat that he made at some other point where he tells her the story of mm -hmm. the girl who lives down the lane and the moral of it is you should always stay in your house and never go to the roadhouse right and don't look for billy
0: another thing she says is is it ghostwood here
1: Right, which is really. I thought she like it feels I... like ghostwood here, or something like that. You, you, I think you're. you're, you're oh, I you're... thought. She... Does she just say oh, really? it's
0: ghostwood here? Yeah, I thought she said is it ghostwood here? Oh, okay. I I could be wrong about that, but that was my, that was what I wrote in my notes. Okay. Um, but anyway, the in in general, that is a. Uh, I could be. Told, I might be wrong about that. Sorry. Oh, she said it's like ghostwood here. Yeah. Sorry. I, th- you're right. I think I think that's right. Um, yeah, so which she says it's like ghostwood here. <laughs> Uh, which is interesting because, um, so some people have used that as a suggestion that, uh, she may in fact still be in the coma that she was in after the explosion at the end of, uh, the original run of Twin Peaks. Um, because the reason she was in the vault when it exploded in the first place was to protest the ghostwood development. Yeah. Um, What's interesting about that to me, though, that makes me think, like, that doesn't quite add up to me, is that Ghostwood wasn't complete at that time. Like, if someone says it's like Ghostwood here, it kind of suggests she's actually been in Ghostwood or, like, yeah. knows what it's like, which was not the case at the time the explosion <coughs> happened. Uh, Ghostwood was still... Um, you know a plan rather than a place. Right. Unless she's referring
1: uh, to the situation surrounding it which is a thing that never yeah, gets done mean, and yeah, sort of ruined everyone's lives like and the blah blah blah.
0: thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Um it was so just it was again like
1: meant. a comp- on a completely different sort of axis or place. It was a shock to hear her just in the middle of a sort of frantic sentence drop the name Ghostwood of like what <laughs> what that's a thing that just you hadn't heard come out of any character's mouth in mm-hmm. years and years and it was interesting to hear that Audrey was briefly sort of fixated on it or that it was on the tip of her tongue in that way. Like,
0: yeah. Yeah. Um, well, there is one scene left to discuss Jake. And I think, you know what it is.
1: Um, uh, Oh, you're of course referring to the assassins driving through Provo, Utah. <laughs>
0: I forgot about that entirely. <laughs> yeah, they go through they go through in Utah and talk about Mormons.
1: Yeah. Anyway. Uh which then leaves us uh one one true final scene. It's really a bummer that Audrey didn't make it out to the Roadhouse tonight.
0: Yeah, she missed an incredible performance. Ladies and gentlemen. Uh the Roadhouse is proud to introduce, to welcome James Hurley. <laughs> I couldn't fucking believe this shit. I couldn't believe They used the exact same recording. What the hell? That was unreal. Was it the the same recording? I thought that it was, but I... I, Was it not? It It had had to be. Like, hive, that falsetto, hilarious voice. It sounded like the same recording to
1: me. Wait, so does that mean that um, if they used the same recording, that means that Laura Flynn Boyle's voice appears in Twin Peaks The Return?
0: I guess, assuming she was actually the one who sang it. Yeah, it's maybe hard to know. the background. Maybe they had the master tracks. they yeah. re-recorded the background singers. Or it they just sounded like they might have been different. To
1: or me. they just re-recorded it. Maybe that guy can just they hit that falsetto every time. It
0: sounded exactly the same to me, but it but it may well have been a new recording. I don't know. In any case, they used all the same hilarious echo effects and reverb <laughs> and all that shit, and it was really ridiculous i was so
1: happy that that's so ridiculous. That, that showed up i mean it was the stupidest stupidest God. thing but it was so good it was again yeah. the like you can take all of these things if you really want as david lynch and mark frost basically extending a middle finger to you or laughing at you or like getting a thrill out of putting people through things that they know they don't like or I what I think is more accurate is that they're just like these are the things that are Twin Peaks this is what Twin Peaks is these are things that we enjoy about it like just I feel like we're yep. all being invited in this version of just you and I to like let's just actually appreciate what this is together let's just all live live in this <laughs> yep. moment of us uh, being back in Twin Peaks and all of what that entails uh, including forever. including being together forever just you and I yep <laughs> It was also, also there's
0: that, oh, that cool. woman in the audience who is just losing it.
1: I think she's the woman At, who's she was she saw James uh in the first mm-hmm. episode that he in was in, episode, I think she was there. Yeah. Or one of
0: the first episodes. Yeah.
1: She Second episode maybe? She um, loved it. She loves she, him.
0: She Yeah, well, he has always been cool. I mean, you can't disregard that fact.
1: I was I was on the fence about, about whether James. or not James had always been cool, but now, now I know.
0: Um one thing that um One thing I want to just point out really quickly is Mm -hmm. that there's a there's a very conspicuous tattoo on that woman's arm, which I believe reads six or seven, six, sixty three. That is a tattoo that actual actress just has. It's her grandparents anniversary date. So it probably should not be read into in terms of Twin Peaks substance. Yep. It's equally possible that David Lynch backported something from that tattoo existing into the world of Twin Peaks, right? Because he liked the tattoo. But
1: you it know, exists in real but, life. It's not. But it's, it's not making the
0: actress already had right. It was yeah. It's in fact on her arm.
1: I mean, uh, the actor who played James already had that voice. Oh, um, <laughs> that's another another thing from the secret history of Twin Peaks. I remember we uh, on our catch-up episode before Twin Peaks The Return, we talked about how goofy it was that the actor who played Wyndham Earl actually knew how to play that flute and worked out the music for it. And then when he... Uh, Heard the, final, heard the final recording of it. They just put some Bad Lamenti synth in. Apparently, the actor who plays James can play the guitar and sing. This is sing. from
0: Reflections, not The Secret History.
1: I'm oh, sorry. It's from Reflections, The Oral History of Twin Peaks, which is a great book of interviews from cast and crew about the original run of the show. The actor who plays James can play the guitar and learned this song. And apparently, the same thing happened where he's like, oh, I, I went in and then uh, Bad Lamenti had already just recorded it. the end so uh, anytime any actor tries to learn how to play music uh to show up in the show bad Lamenti just goes well and uh just does it himself yeah so you know yeah maybe this time he played it he's like i've i've found the exact guitar and amp settings bad Lamenti used and it's like his one parlor trick uh this actor is that he can perfectly replicate just you and i (laughs) from the original run of twin peaks
0: right he's been practicing for 25 years
1: yeah it's so um, good well, that there's a scene in the roadhouse that has a major known Twin Peaks character up on the stage instead of the yeah, 9 inch nails. I know.
0: I know. By the way, yeah, exactly. Gets equal sort of enthusiasm in the billing as the 9 inch nails. Also, uh, as has
1: been pointed out a couple times online because of the weird the because of the yeah, weird temporal discontinuity of all of these things there's a good chance that the 9-inch nails played at the roadhouse right before James went on that same very night because of the way that all of the different events uh, yeah, overlapped that's true, so actually. so maybe maybe Trent Reznor yeah. opened for always been cool James Hurley who in the world of <laughs> twin peaks so. like has a yeah. huge hit single that uh you know unfortunately for uh the Ferguson family you know, Maddie's not alive anymore. And, and I guess, unfortunately, for Donna Hayward, who doesn't seem to be around uh, on the show anymore, James is just yeah. scooping up He's, all the royalties. He doesn't have to pay those you know, guys shit. Uncredited nope. backup singers. He's got those new teens backing him yeah.
0: up. Jim Peaks: The Return of James Hurley. Uh, well, as much as I would love to go on about this scene forever and ever, um, I actually have to take off now. Okay. Uh, in fact, over time. Uh, but this was a great episode. I enjoyed talking about it. I am looking forward to next week's episode. We have very few episodes left. Four episodes left? Four
1: episodes. We have three weeks left. We have, uh, week Yeah, f- that is bonkers. Because uh, we've got, or no, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. We have five weeks left. Okay, five. Or we yeah. have four okay. weeks left, five yes, episodes yes. left. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Also, sorry that I've been really low-key and funky sounding this week. I have a cold. So this is the best oh. combination of Skype, I- Ramo, and uh, sick Jake.
0: I couldn't even tell because I'm getting a tinny version of you over a phone. So oh, I'm man. The aware. people who
1: listen to this podcast are probably just going to have heard me cough, coughing and sniffling up a storm. So uh, I'm sorry, humans who listen to well, this podcast.
0: Uh, feel better. Um, Jake, both you and I are going to be in Ireland as of next week. Oh, so just this, you and I. Next week's, just you and I are going to be in Ireland next week, So um, uh, together forever. So that episode might be late. I suspect that episode's going to be a few days late, in yeah. fact until we're both back in San Francisco, because I don't think we have any way to do this remotely in a way that is going to be even... There's no point. good. Um, So look out for that mid-next week. Um, And then until then, you can send us email at twinpeaks at idlethumbs.net. Our website is twinpeaksrewatch.com, where you can subscribe to the show and find all the places that uh, we reside online. If you want to discuss the show with other people watching it, You can go to TwinPeaksRewatch.com and every episode has a link to a forum thread uh, with lots of really in-depth discussion. And we put up those episode threads before, you know, immediately after the show airs. So next week, even when you're waiting a few days for our episode, you'll still be able to talk about it with other Twin Peaks fans. And those are really fun, good threads with tons of activity and really good information. Um, Anyway, all that, TwinPeaksRewatch.com. And for Idle Thumbs, I am Chris Remo. I'm Jake Rodkin. We'll be back next week. Bye.
1: See ya.